Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, it's uh, there. There are all these uh, strategies for life uh, that are that are sort of laid out in this week's parsha in, in um, Kitavo, and um, just want to touch on a few of them. So, so it, it it occurs to me, it occurs to me that a lot of people have this strategy for living life. And um, I, I think most people, maybe 99% of the people who have this strategy aren't aware that they have this strategy and they're not even aware that they're working a strategy. But I believe that there is a strategy in place and that they are working it very heavily. What, what is that strategy in one sentence? God, I'm going to be miserable until you give me what I want. <laughs> and I think it's a, it's a form of weird sort of emotional spiritual blackmail that we're trying to play on God. And it's a, it's a losing strategy. I promise you this is a losing strategy. Um, because ultimately, how does this play out? Let's just think it through. God knows best. God is doing what's good for us. God is giving us what we need in the moment, even if it's not what we want in the moment, it's what we need in the moment. And then at the end of 120, or God forbid, in a much shorter time, our lives are over, and then what do we have to show for ourselves? This masterful strategy of clinging to misery. So who did, who did we help? Who, who, we, we didn't help ourselves. We didn't make our prayers more effective. So who, who wins when we employ that strategy? We don't win. It wasn't effective. So I, I'll tell you where it is effective, by the way. I saw this from the B'nai Yisachar, that a Rebbe will take on the pain of the um, supplicant, of the chassid, of, of whoever is coming to the Rebbe. This is one strategy that Rebbe's use. And what happens is, is that the Rebbe takes on so much of the pain. This is why it's, it's, you know, it's not a small thing if a person wants to be a Rebbe, if they're, if they're for real. The person takes on the pain of, 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 of the person, and then Hashem says, wait a second, this wasn't meant for you. So, so in order to take away the Rebbe's pain, there's only one way to do it, in order to answer the prayer of the supplicant. You see how that works? That's, that's kind of like a very high-stakes kind of thing to do. But, 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 but Rebbe's do that. So, it's... Uh, but other than that, other than taking on the misery of someone else, right? Then that's, that's just to be miserable until God gives me what I want. It doesn't really work, I don't think. And the, the problem is, is that you then go through life being miserable. So then, then it's sort of like, just think about just from an accounting perspective. You don't have what you want, and you don't have anything else as well. <laughs> because when you're miserable, you're not in a state of hakara satop. Right? So this Parsha is about bringing the first fruits, and we're going to talk about that. But it's all about this state, what we call hakara satop, which is gratitude which is really the chief engine of creation. And it says, the Medrash says that Hashem created the entire world in order for us to bring the first fruits. Okay, so how do, how do they work that out? So it's a play on the word reishis, because the first fruit, reishit means the first. So you're bringing the reishis, you're bringing the, the 
the, the, the first fruits. And what's the first word of the Torah? Bereshis. In other words, you can learn it out for the sake of this mitzvah bringing Reshis, the first fruit, God created the heavens and the earth. And then they go deeper and they say, well, why this mitzvah? Because this mitzvah is all about gratitude. And what's gratitude? Gratitude is recognition. Gratitude is recognizing the, the oneness of God and everything that's, that's going on in your life, right? You see, I was thinking about a bit of imagery. So imagine you've got, um, you know, you see this in movies and things like this. You can probably picture it. Uh, imagine you're like one of these, you know, when, when they do these like very scenic overhead shots in movies, they, they shoot them from helicopters. Okay, so you've got this helicopter overhead, and that's how they get all of that scenery. You know, it's not, a, it's not a small thing to get one of those beauty shots on, like, mountainsides and things like that. So imagine you've got one of these shots, and you've got a steam engine, a train, going through this gorgeous, you know, mountainous countryside, right? And it's going through, and it's speeding through. You probably can picture that, you know? Now imagine the train gets to its stop and you interview the train. And you say, did you notice, did you notice um, all of the flowers? And the train's like, what are you talking about, <laughs> right? Did you, did you notice the intense smells of like, of like the trees and things like that? What, I, I, no, no, I was, I, I was on my way, I was rushing through. So, so this is a lot of what the um, mitzvahs are all about. Because on, a, on, a, on, a, on an unfortunate level, we're like these trains that are just speeding through life, right? And the mitzvahs are coming to say, wait, you just walked by an incredible smell. You have to make a bracha. You have to thank God. You know, you just saw like all these fruits, right? Like, like they're all of these mitzvahs. And so, so a lot of the mitzvahs, you see, a lot of people have the mindset which is basically, my life is my life, and why do I have to do all of this stuff, meaning Torah, mitzvahs, halacha, everything like that? Because this is my life, and then, you know, religiosity, however you want to explain it, is a separate category, and it's interfering with my life. But, but there's so many wrong things with that premise, but just, just to touch on one of them, the whole, the whole structure of the mitzvot, and the reason why there's so many of them, is to keep you actually tuned into reality so that you're not that train speeding through your own life. So, so how do you do it? Because life is very overwhelming. And I had a question, which is, let me just tell you how the mitzvah is done. Rashi explains it like this. And, and it's so funny because I have like, I have two lemon trees that are about maybe three feet high each. They're really... They're, they're not remarkable looking. <laughs> like, no one's like going to be like, wow, look at these lemon trees. But, but there they are. They're two lemon trees. They're about, you know, the, the size of my torso, a little lower. And, but they actually produce fruit. And I get very excited about these lemon trees, you know, because it's sort of like it's really fun to, to watch them be lemon trees. I, I also grew up in, in New York City on 79th Street and Broadway where it's sort of like, it's all concrete. There's no, there's no nature. And when you look up at the sky, you see strips of sky because there are just skyscrapers everywhere. You don't see like a big sky. So, so nature to this day is very novel to me. So, so anyway, it's sort of like what happens is first, before the fruit comes, you've got these flowers. And the flowers are so, they're very beautiful and delicate. 
and then the petals fall off, and there you see like the, like some, do you remember those old, fa I don't know, maybe they still make them this way, but they, they would have these old-fashioned pins that would have like a little white ball, it would almost look like a pearl on top of it, you know? So you have like smaller than that, a little green thing when the flowers fall off. And that's the fruit. That's the beginning of the fruit. It starts tiny, 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 and then it can become like the size of a, a softball or something like that, you know? Um, but the, the process itself is very, very exciting to watch. So now, can you imagine like you're a farmer now? And farmers, this isn't like they've got two like, you know, little trees in their backyard. This is their parnosa. This is their livelihood for the year. This is like a very, very big deal. And they've got fields and fields. And believe me, they're monitoring, they're monitoring like what kind of crop it's going to be. Because I know from my own trees, like sometimes it's like you have a few lemons, sometimes you have a lot of lemons. It's, it's very mysterious, you know, the way it works. So it's the same thing with, 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 with farmers on a, on, a, on, a, on a much larger level. What kind of crop is this year going to be? So, and a lot of that obviously has to do with how much rain falls and, and, and all of these things are like determined on Rosh Hashanah. So, so what I'm trying to tell you is that farmers are acutely aware of when the first fruit comes because they're, they're monitoring their crops on a regular basis. So Rashi points out that when they see the first fruit, when they see that first thing coming, they take a reed and they tie it around the, the fruit and they know which one is the first so that they know when they take a batch of their first fruits to the holy temple in, 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 in Yerushalayim that they're going to know which are the first fruits to bring. Okay. So now here's my question. My question is, why did God structure the mitzvah that way? Because I've got an, an alternate scenario, which I think is as or more compelling, which is why not wait till right before the harvest, where you've got an entire field of crops, like this giant impressive site, where you really are experiencing the full bounty of, of what God has given you. And from that perspective, why don't you go and take the fruit? Right? Why are you doing it? in this way, where you wait for the very first one to manifest. It's, it's the complete opposite. All right? And obviously, God has voted on this. <laughs> he says, we're going to do it that way. We're not going to do it the full way. Okay, all good. But let's just have a fuller appreciation of what, what, what God is doing on, on some level anyway. Okay? So if you ask me, why didn't God structure it the other way? So this is just me talking. I, I, would, I, I would tell you that I think maybe a couple reasons we can suggest. One is that when I'm looking at the fullness of all this crop, do you know what I'm thinking more than anything else? Look what I did. And the, that's, the, that's kind of the opposite of what Hashem is trying to communicate to us. And it's not just, look what Hashem did, but, but you know something? Who says there has to be any fruit at all? I mean, let's forget about the, the, the quantity of the amount of fruit. But who says this process even has to work at all? The, the, the whole process is completely divine. It's completely divine. And you know, we've talked about it before, but it's worth saying, you see, God tricks us. And, and, and the way he tricks us is that we're absolutely engulfed by miracles 
nanosecond to nanosecond. But the way God tricks us is that he does everything in slow motion. And when it happens in slow motion, you get tricked into thinking that this is automatic and that there isn't this divine sentient hand guiding this process. So, so for instance, like the, the example that I always love is that imagine you put your pencil down on your table and then you kind of went into the kitchen and then you came back and hanging off your pencil were a cluster of grapes. <laughs> like on your desk in your bedroom. You'd like freak out. Like, how, how do these grapes grow out of my pencil? You know, but is, is farming any different from that at all? You, you, you take a seed and you put it in the ground. And what does a seed have to do with a tree? Right? And then you go, oh, no, 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 it makes perfect sense. You know why? Because I'm burying the seed. <laughs> When's the last time that you, like, do you bury a bone and then the next morning there's a steak? Of course. What, you don't know that trick? Right? Like, why should bearing something produce anything? When you, bearing should be the opposite. So, so then a tree comes out, and, you know, we have kind of like in genetics, we have a, a fairly kind of basic rule, it's pretty intuitive, which is that the children look like the parents on some level. Or they'll look like the grandparents, right? Like, my daughter looks like my, my dad. It's like, it's clear, you know? But, you know, whatever it is, it's the parents, it's the grandparents, but there's a relationship where they look like the, the mother and the father. You, you, you see it all the time. This is not news to anyone. Imagine a, like a juicy orange. Does that, does that look like a piece of wood, which is a tree? Like the fruit is the children, right? The fruit, the fruit is the children of the tree. Is there any relationship between an orange and a piece of wood? <laughs> it's completely miraculous is the point. The point is completely miraculous, but because I get up early and I buy the best seeds at the market and then I plow and I break my back and I really have the best soil and I water it and I put fertilizer and I care for it and everything like that and then over time it takes months and everything like that of course I did it so so life is like this life is overwhelming you see if you're standing in front of a whole field full of produce and everything like that it, it's it's easy for the the just your your it's it's hard for your it's easy to attribute to yourself and as a as a as a as a counter to that even it's hard to wrap your mind around the size of the blessing now i don't know I, you know th this is what they call rich man's problems but i think at some point in our life all of us maybe i, I have experienced this um, maybe once or twice which is that things are starting to go right and everything's going right and it's kind of hard to like appreciate it because it, you're overwhelmed by all this stuff that's happening. So it's sort of like, so, so what does Hashem say? Hashem gives us this amazing strategy for gratitude, which is, He says, you know what, let's go to the opposite extreme. 
Let's go from the full field full of crops to the beginning of the first fruit coming out of the ground. And this is a strategy for mindfulness. This is a strategy for how to stay in gratitude by breaking things down to very small components to thank God for. You see? So, I just want to make sure we're communicating. Thank God for the little things. And, and don't stop thanking God for the little things. Because if you can get yourself into that place, then you become this engine of gratitude. And you also become, you're able to access happiness in a very, in a very amazing way. Because a lot of the secret to happiness is staying in this state of gratitude. So now, let me put it to you another way. You see, you have a classic example. You know, unfortunately, the best examples become cliches. And then once they become cliches, when you hear them, you tune out because you, you, they just sound old to you. But the only reason why they became cliches is because they're so good, right? So if you can imagine sitting in front of a a glass, and it's filled midway. You really can, if you can picture this right now, see the glass as half empty or half full. <laughs> it's totally your choice. Uh, you, see, you can say, well, I have half a glass left, or it's almost over. You know, I, I've experienced this. I know other people have experienced this. Have you ever been on vacation, and you spend your vacation saying, oh, it's almost over? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that mindset? That is like, that, that's what they're, when they're saying, oh, you see the glasses half empty, that's what they're talking about. Well, you're still at the hotel, right? We're still at the hotel. That's still the beach, right? It's still the beach. So what's the problem? I'm going home like in two days. <laughs> but you're here now. Eh. <laughs> So this is, when you're in a place of gratitude, when you're in a place of gratitude, you escape this mental trap. Because gratitude is a active, it's an active state of consciousness. It's an active state of consciousness. Now, we have an old, an old saying in, 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 in football, which is, Okay, so like any game, like any game, in football, you, you, the winner has the more points, okay? So you want to have the most points at the end. So they say the best defense is a good offense. So what does that mean? The best defense is a good offense. So, so you want to have, um, you want a, a defense stops the other team from scoring because you want to have the most points. But the best way to have the most points at the end is not to stop the other team from scoring. It's for you to score the most points. That's what it means. The best defense is a good offense. So that, that goes with one's consciousness as well. If you want to be in a state of gratitude, if you want to be in a state of happiness, you actually have to be mounting an offensive as opposed to thinking that somehow this is just going to automatically filter into your mind like, oh, I put on tefillin this morning, so they tell me I'm supposed to be happy today. Like, it, it, 
Yeah, if you're going to be happy all day that God gave you the ability to put on tefillin, then yes, but not just somehow because you did this, you know, that's, that's, I don't think Taurus says that. I don't think Taurus says that. I think that's when people enter into a realm of magical thinking, right? Or, or a lack of appreciation of, of, of the work we're supposed to do. You see, I think that there's a, I think that there's something that, 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 that needs to be clarified about a Torah lifestyle and about really like doing these things, which is that I think a lot of the work is done when you, or the great majority of the work is done when you leave the Torah class, <laughs> when you leave shul, right? When you finish doing the mitzvah. Like, all of that time in between mitzvot is actually the chief battleground, I believe, in my opinion, of avodas Hashem, of serving God. That's, that's, that's where it's at. That's where a person has to go over the things and, and everything like that. You know, because, because thought patterns are notoriously difficult to redirect. They're notoriously difficult. I, I know this from working on the way I think about life for decades now. It's, it's notoriously difficult. And, and I think one of the chief problems is that people don't take how seriously and how much work and how time extensive it is for a person to rewire their thinking process. They simply don't take it seriously enough. And they don't put in nearly the amount of work. Not like they don't put in the amount of work. They don't put in anything close to the amount of work that's required, actually. And they think that just I showed up to this class, I showed up to shul, that somehow that's going to do it. I'm telling you that the work is done when you leave those places. And the chief way to do this the chief way to do this is through gratitude. It's through have, mounting an offense. It's through mounting an offense. Driving your thoughts in that way. And now, let's be even clearer, okay? You see, going off the... You know, someone was telling me, I, I thought something beautiful... They, they said to me that um, they, were, they were talking about, I don't know whether it was their, their, their father or grandfather, whatever it was, they said that he, he always saw the, the glass as half full. And someone told him, you know, you always see the glass as half full. And you know what he said back? He said, and isn't it a beautiful glass? <laughs> Say, that blew me away because it's sort of like, oh, wow, there's another component. How about the fact that there's even a glass? Right? Like, this is like, this is where, you know, you start to see the sophistication and the creativity that is necessary in order to be in this kind of blissed out state, basically. Where you're you're actually finding things now to thank God for. You see? Someone else was telling me, I, I think it was the same person, he said, you know, that, that he would have these events and, and the students would go around and you know, say something that they're grateful for. And he said, but if you do this, I want to warn you something. 
you have to limit it to a couple of things. Because once a person gets going, they can't stop. <laughs> and it's really true. It's really true. If you start, like, kind of like, if, if, you, if you decide to take what I'm telling you seriously, and you start to say, okay, you know what, I'm walking to my car now, or I'm, you know, I'm shopping at Ralph's, I'm just going to start thanking God for things. You will be amazed. Maybe it will be a little bit slow in the beginning, but, you know, it's not going to be long until you start thanking God for your for your toes <laughs> and for your fingernails, right? For your ears. Like once you get going, you start to realize, wow, you know, this is this, there there is a lot going right. There's a lot going right. Okay, so now let's get practical again. You see, here's the choice. Here's the choice that that a person can make. Am I seeing life through the perspective of everything that's going right? Or am I seeing life through the perspective of everything that's going wrong? And that's kind of what it boils down to. And a person, believe it or not, that is your choice. That is your choice. You get to decide that. And you can't blame that on anybody but yourself. Okay? Let's be real. Are you seeing life through the perspective of everything that's going right? Or are you seeing life through the perspective of everything that's going wrong? And that is absolutely 100% your choice. And that's what we're talking about. And you say, but nothing is going right. Okay. Do you have ears to even hear what we're saying? Like, like, how did you even get into this room? Doesn't that mean that you have legs? And probably maybe you're listening to this in a car? That means, you, where'd you get your car from? Or who lend, lent you the car, right? Thinks that you're a trustworthy enough person that they're allowing you to drive their car, right? And, or, I mean, there, there's a, a zillion things. A zillion things. Like, how about the fact, you, you want to hear something that you may not have thought to thank God for this morning, today? How about the fact that we're wearing clean clothes right now? You know, you know what that is? Do, do you know what it was to do laundry for most of the history of the world? Do you, do you know what clean clothes mean? And now we just open up a drawer, just pull something on, we throw it on, it's clean. A very big deal to be in clean clothes. Okay, so, so I want to I want to go into the, the 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 deeper into what the Torah is saying about this. So, so the Mayor of Shemesh and the Noam Elimelech are commenting on the on the description here. See something very very amazing. So. So before we get to that, though, I think um, I want to add one more point. Because when we bring the first fruits to the Beis HaMikdash, and this is just so, it's so uh, fat, you know, in the best, best way. Because, because Beis HaMikdash, the Imre Noam, the Jikover Rebbe, just one of the greatest gematrias ever, the Imre Noam points out that Beis HaMikdash 
is Gematria Rosh Hashanah, right? The Holy Temple, right? Beis Hamikdash, the portal between heaven and earth. That's Gematria Rosh Hashanah. And what would we do? We would take our first fruits to the Beis Hamikdash. We're always reading this parsha right before Rosh Hashanah. So, so we're taking our fruits, meaning everything we did right, and we're bringing it to Rosh Hashanah, which means that everyone's got to figure out what did you do right this year, and you have to have that in mind because you have to bring that to the base of Migdash, which is Rosh Hashanah. Okay, you have to have it. But but here's the here's the amazing aspect of this. That's amazing, but this is in another way more amazing. You would then have to do something called vidui. Vidui means confession. And the classic version of vidui, we started it, for at least for the Ashkenazim, we started it last night. Vidui is basically, it's the classic chest pounding as you recite everything that you did wrong. Okay? So, so you want to hear something amazing? When you brought your first fruits, you have to do what the Torah calls a vidui, a confession. But if you look at the text of the confession that you would say, it's a checklist of everything that you did right. It's like, I did this mitzvah, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, all showing that the, the fruits that you were bringing were, were the appropriate fruits to bring. So you're ticking off everything you did right. So now let's take a few steps back and just try to wrap our minds around this. So isn't it striking that it's called vidui, which is confession, which is, you know, 98% of this time associated with speaking out what you did wrong, and yet this term, before we get to Rosh Hashanah, before we get to, to um, Slichos in many instances, before we get to Yom Kippur, we're using this term vidui, confession, to talk about what we did right. Why? Because I think for a lot of people, it's like pulling teeth for them to admit what they've done right. And isn't it interesting, before God wants to hear what you did wrong, God himself wants to hear what you did right. How can you not love God for that? But again... You see, it wouldn't be so horrible. I mean, it's still not great, but it wouldn't be so horrible if someone looked around the world and just couldn't find anything good. You know what the biggest problem with that is? Is that that person who looks around the world and can't see anything good also can't see anything good in themselves. That, that, that's what makes it so terrible. You see, because if the person could see something good in themselves, then they'd all of a sudden magically find out all this good stuff that's out there in the world as well. So most of us, it's more of a mix, right? So the question is, it's like, you know, like can you imagine you're watching like TV, right? Or you're watching a, like a, a football game or whatever it is. And you kind of like move like, I don't know, like, you know when ping pong tables are folded in half? 
Like imagine you move that ping pong table like covering seven eighths of the screen. <laughs> and then you sit down to watch the game. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? But how many of us are like doing that with our own lives? Right? Like, I'm just going to block out <laughs> almost everything good that's going right. Let's see, let me just frame the negative. All right, now I can sit down and relax. <laughs> right? Like, why? 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 It's not... If it were an effective strategy, I would tell you, you know, like... As they say, Gazunta, hey, go and do it. Live and be well. Go, enjoy. But it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work to make you more sort of like worthy of, of blessing. And it doesn't work to make you happier. It just, it simply doesn't work on any level. So, so again, how do we get out of this mindset? By actively by actively finding the good. And I'm telling you, this is work. This means actual work on your part, on every single person's part. It means work and effort. And it means a lot of effort for a period of time. And a person has to actively find the good. Okay. Now, now it says here that when we bring the fruits... When we bring the, the fruits to the base of Migdash, here's, here's what we say. Now, this should sound familiar to you because we say this in the Haggadah. Okay, this is part of the Pesach Haggadah. In fact, this is the chief section of Magid. Okay, this is the heart of the Haggadah. We say an Aramean, right? An Arami. We'll, we'll get to that word in a, in a moment. An Arami, and that's usually translated as uh, lovin, okay? Lovin who, you know, who tried to uproot, you know, the whole family with Jacob, right? Jacob was working for lovin for years and years, okay? So, so but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go deeper in a moment. But that is the classic understanding of who this Aramean was. So an Arami tried to destroy my forefather, okay? And it, and it, and it goes on. So... And then Hashem saved us, right? It goes on to say Hashem saved us. Now, now, the, now look what the, the Noam Elimelech and the, and the mayor of Hashemish do here. Amazing, amazing. They say, okay, let's, 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 let's strip this down. Let's go down. Let's go deep, 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 deep now. So, you're supposed to take this first fruit and you're supposed to wait, right? Because the first fruit comes, you gotta wait. You gotta wait till you get all the way to Jerusalem, and then you're gonna be able to eat it after you do this vidui, this confession, right? Then you're gonna be able to eat it. So how much time comes between the time that you could have eaten it and the time you actually eat it? It's a lot of time, a lot of effort, right? Okay, so, hmm, the first fruit, and in Aramean, an Arami 
tried to kill my father. Okay. The first fruit. Oh. So what we're talking about is Adam Harishon in Gan Eden, and we're talking about the fruit from the Eitzadas, from the Tree of Knowledge. So this mitzvah is coming to fix the eating from the, the Tree of Knowledge. Because what was the problem? The problem was that Adam Arishon didn't wait. Remember, remember, the Rebbe's explain that we were going to be able to eat from the tree of knowledge, but we had to eat from the tree of life first. And on, the, on Shabbos, in Shabbos, we would have gotten a chance to eat from the tree of knowledge. And if you think about it, that in itself is so deep. And I'll tell you something, it's, to me it's like, when people understand, for me, I'm speaking personally, when people understand teachings like this, it just, like, like the, 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 the secularists and, and, and the quote-unquote scientists who think they're so brilliant, you know, who, who see this stuff as, as, a, as a fairy tale and, and don't understand the, the, the first iota of the wisdom that's being communicated here. You know, it's, 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 it's tragic, actually. But anyway, that aside, look what the Torah is telling you. That there's something called information, but then there's something called really wisdom. And the, the, the accumulation of information is not wisdom. Right? It's not nothing. But it's not wisdom. That, that you have to understand life first. When you understand life first, then you're in a place where you can acquire the information and you can transform the information into applied wisdom. So in other words, first we have to eat from the Eitz Chaim, from the tree of life, and then we can do something with the Eitz Adas. As it says, Reshis Hachma Yiras Hashem. The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of Hachma wisdom, is the recognition that there's a Hashem. That there's a force in this world that informs all of creation. And guides creation. That's the, that's the beginning of wisdom. So Hashem asks us not to eat from the tree of knowledge, yet. And what did we do? We ate right away. We didn't wait. So again, the Noam Elimelech, the Meor B'Shemesh, are coming to tell us that this mitzvah, to take the first fruit and to wait before you eat it and to bring it to the Beis HaMikdash, right? And isn't it interesting that the day Adam and Chava are born is what? Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> and where are they supposed? Where are we supposed to bring the the fruit to the base of Migdash, which is Gematria Rosh Hashanah? That very strong, you know. Now, who is this Arami? So, isn't it interesting that the snake is called cunning? 
It's called cunning. And what's the word for cunning? Arum. Yeah, so you have Arami and Arum. It's the same word, except Arum is spelled with an Ayin, and Arami is spelled with an Aleph. And I think, you know, for the purposes of Darshaning, Alephs and Ayins can be interchanged. So, so, so this Arami, Lovin, and here's another thing that's striking. So, so Arami, they're translating in the deeper way of the, is, of the snake, tried to mess up our forefather. So the simple level is, we're talking about Lovin, and our forefather is Jacob. But when you get to the deeper level, and you understand that Arum Arami is talking about the Nachash, the snake, then who is the father that it's talking about? The father of all of mankind, Adam Harishon. And why, why, if you had to assign the ayin to one of those two words, either the arami, right, or to the snake, to lovin or to the snake? Why is it assigned to the snake? So I think the ayin is the number 70, by the way. Ayin is also a word, like it's, it's not just the name of a Hebrew letter, it's also a Hebrew word, it means eye. And it says our eyes were opened, right? And what does Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver explain? You know, because it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive. Usually when you say, oh, that was a real eye-opener, or you opened my eyes, that usually means that, um, that you were enlightened in a positive way. Right. But Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver points out that, that our eyes were opened to materiality. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what happened in, in the garden. And then what's the rest of that sentence? And we saw each other's nakedness. Right, because our eyes were now tuned to the material aspect of creation. So, so ayin is also the number seventy, which stands for the number of nations, and it means it's 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 sort of like shorthand in in Torah ideology. It's it's shorthand for multiplicity. Like bay is also often provides that role, but ayin too. Bay is an ayin, you know. Ayin means like just lots of stuff, right? Right, and in fact, ayin is, is 70, and another word for 70 is yayin. Yayin means wine, because when you get drunk, you see double, triple, quadruple, right? <laughs> really. And, and, and Reb Shlomo talks about the holiness of drinking on Purim. You know, what's the difference between a regular drunk and a Purim drunk? Because the more you drink on Purim, the more you only see the oneness. <laughs> right? That's, that's very high. Wow. That's a very high Torah, you know? Um, so, so let's, let's, let's wrap it up. Um, Rosh Hashanah is, is, it's, 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 um, it's a very challenging time. It's a very, very challenging time because we understand that our, our year is coming down for us. That, that's, that's a very challenging time, right? But I heard Reb Shlomo say that, um, that, you know something? One way to approach it is like, God, I have so much faith in you. I love you so much that... That, that God's response to a person like that is, 
how can I not give them a good year? <laughs> you know, so it's, 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 the stakes are high, but I know just personally, I just, I, I want to have the proper year. You know, it's always like a balance. Here, this is like a, a key thing to tell you. If you want to do a, um, if you want to do a test on your own spirituality, like where are you holding, right? Like a diagnosis of yourself. You see, you need two things at all times. You need yira and you need ava. Yira means, remember you have two spectrums, two sides of the spectrum of yira, higher and lower yira. Lower yira means fear of punishment. If I do something wrong, God forbid something will happen. That's lower yira. Higher yira is translated as awe. So it kind of goes from, like if you were to imagine a spectrum, it goes from fear to awe. Right? That's why so many times yira shamayim is translated as fear of heaven. And everyone hates that explanation, that, that translation. But it's not incorrect, by the way. It's just that it's only part of the story. There's the higher yira too, which we all should you know, strive for. The higher yira, as the Baal Shem Tov explains, is that you're in the palace of the king. And it's just in this incredible, majestic place to be. And you don't want to disturb anything. Because God is so awesome. Right? That's, that's the higher yira. So you need yira, but you also need ava. Ava means love. And they call that the two wings of the dove. Okay? You need both to fly with. All right, now here's the, here's the information. If you say, if you find yourself going through life and saying, oh, if I do this, God is going to zap me, that means you need more ava. You need, you need more love in, in, in your relationship between you and God. So you have to feel God's love more and do what you need to, to experience that, right? So you have to correct that imbalance. If you feel like, God loves me so much, it doesn't matter if I go to McDonald's, who cares? Come on, let's, let's get real. Then you need more yira. That person needs more yira because they're out of balance in that way. So you have to go through your life and you ask yourself the question, how am I feeling? Right? And it might be that you need more love and more yira. Because <laughs> I remember one of the things, and maybe we'll just stop with this, one of the things, there's a, a, a sort of like a quiet block I, I like to walk down Shabbos morning on the way to, to the Happy Minion. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a side street. And, you know, it's just houses on either side. And I like it because most of the time there's no one on the block, so I can just kind of be alone with my thoughts as I'm walking down the street. And it's still early enough that people are sleeping, you know. And one time I'm walking down this street and I see five, we have in this neighborhood, in this area, we have blackbirds. And these blackbirds are not small birds. They're not like sparrows. They're like, you know, they're like the size of chickens almost. You know, they're like, they're big birds. And I saw like five blackbirds, like on the corner, on the opposite corner, on the opposite side of the street that I was walking. And they were on the corner. And I saw one by one, they were in a little group. They hopped off the curb onto the, onto the street. And then they walked across the street. And then they hopped up on the other side of the curb. And I was thinking, 
you guys, you know you can fly, right? <laughs> so that would be the example of someone who needs more yira enab, right? So, so anyway, it should be just the most remarkable year, and and remember what we're talking about. If we're guilty of this it usually comes because we don't have insight into it. So I'm just saying this so that we should have insight. Making the strategy with God, I'm going to be miserable till you answer my prayer. And that's my strategy, that's my winning ticket, God. (laughs) I would suggest to abandon that strategy. Okay? Enjoy, don't cover up seven-eighths of the television set. Don't, don't do that. <coughs> Appreciate the fullness. But here's the secret. If you actually want to be one who appreciates the fullness, that requires a good offense. A good offense. You have to actively, actively find things to thank God for. Actively on a regular, ongoing basis. And that way, you'll be going through life in a way where you're not just seeing it from the perspective of everything that's wrong, but you're actually seeing it from the perspective of everything that's right. And then I'm telling you, your life is going to be better. And one of the things that you're going to find is that more people want to be friends with you and they want to be around you. You know? I mean, I was talking to someone yesterday It broke my heart in a million pieces. They were telling me about someone who's very, very depressed. And I said, you know, can, do they leave the house? You know, because it was clear to me that this was a, a very serious situation. I said, do they leave the house? And they said, mm, not so much. I was like, wow, okay, that's a pretty advanced level. And, and I said, do they have any friends? And the person looked at me like, like, isn't that obvious that they don't have any friends? Like, because who wants to be friends with someone who's like that? And it's, 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 it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But the opposite is also true. If, it's, if, if you're the person who's finding everything that's cool that's going on, and you're talking about the good stuff, it's like a magnet. People want to be around that. People want to hear that. And a lot of times people want to hear that is because they're not doing it, and deep down they want to be doing it, so they come to you to plug in. It's sort of like, my phone's empty, let me, let me, let me stick my cord into your, you know, USB port, you know? And, 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 then, and then that's the beginning of good things, and then you begin to generate blessing that way, because you yourself then become a vessel for blessing. Okay. Should be a great week. Now for some questions and answers. If you're thinking right. constantly about, good oh, question, you know, thank question. you to Shem for this, right. thank you for, yeah. like, if you're trying to also work on your moon, and that almost seems like that would be a good starting point. Yeah. Gratitude, I, I think that's a great insight. I think gratitude is 100% linked to a moon. Because, because, okay, like, let's say you're in a relationship. Imagine you're in a relationship with another person, right? And... It's like, it's, if I don't trust the other person, 
it's really hard for me to love that person because I don't trust them. Because I don't really trust that they have my best interests in mind. And so, you know, like one of the things that always struck me as very wise and deep is that when they talk about, I, I've seen this um, in international relations, especially with um, Israel and, and the Palestinians and things like that, like you'll see, like the, the United States will, will sometimes say, um, we have to work on trust building measures, right? Where we see that when the Palestinians say they're going to do something, that, the Israeli, that, that, that we should give them a chance to actually do it, so the Israelis can say, okay, they actually kept their word, and vice versa. And then that's the beginning of a strong relationship, where there's the trust there, okay? So I think that um, one of the things that shocks me, and I, I haven't been able to devote enough time to this, or perhaps I've already been devoting my entire life to this, one or the other, <laughs> um, which is that, that people don't, haven't, don't understand how absolutely central it is to Judaism and Torah and life to understand that God is good. Like, that is, is, a, is shocking to me. It's shocking. It's shocking. And because it seems to me so basic, and yet it's so not basic, I think, for many, many people. And I, I, I'm frightened to know what the actual percentage is, you know? But, but when you know that God is good, and you really believe that God is good, then you have the trust relationship, and then you are, open yourself up to, to love and amuna and faith. And so how do you get to that place, right? What are the trust-building measures that you can take? Well, God is, I promise you, doing a phenomenal amount of good for every single one of us. I promise you. Just the fact that you're even hearing this sentence means that your ears are working, your brain is working, you're sitting in a chair. I mean, you can, I, I could probably name a hundred things, really, without exaggerating, that's going right for you just to be hearing the, these sentences right now. Okay? So, when you are in a state of gratitude, this is answering your question, when you're in a state of gratitude, what you're doing is you're acknowledging all the good that's going on, and then that allows you to trust God more, and then that allows you to come into this place of a muna, because you're like, well, the one who's been doing all this good stuff for me will surely do more good stuff for me because he's shown himself to be this way as, the, as a giver. Right? So, so yes, uh, gratitude will 100% lead to Amuna. And I think that's, those are the steps. Maybe someone can come up with, with better steps. But, but, but you know something? And, and I'll tell you, I was going through a, a difficult period and um, and, you know, there's so many prayers that I, 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 I say in Hebrew, and I, I really don't know the English, uh, you know, unfortunately. But, you know, I'm working on it. So, anyway, when I saw this simple line in Al-Hamichya, that's the after-blessing that we say if we eat grain, so like cookies, cake, things like this. So, it's, it's great. It, it says, Ki Hashem tovu I just zipped through it how many times? Hundreds of times, probably. So, how about the English translation for this, right? This is after you eat a cookie, right? Or a few cookies, right? 
For you, Hashem, are good and do good to all. <laughs> wow! Wow! For you, Hashem, are good and do good to all. That's, gi- that's a giant, giant thing to say. And there's another thing in the, be- in the benching. Maybe I hope I can find it quickly because... Oh, good. Here it is. You ready for this one? Yeah. Who hate you, who made you, who yate you, Right? How many times did I just zip through that? Right? Maybe thousands without appreciating it. Um, for every single day, he did good, he does good, and he will do good for us. Awesome. That's, I mean, you, well, you could get rid of all the benching and just keep that one line. Right? I mean, you can't, by the way. (laughs) If you could, if you could. Right? Let's say it again. For every single day, he did good, he does good, and will do good for us. Right? These are the things that will that will totally change your life if you if but if you put the work into it. Not if you don't. Not if this is the last time you think about what I just said. Then, then it's not going to help you. I mean, maybe it'll help you a little bit, but it, it won't be transformative. 